Ah, hello my friends, hello my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode 128, I was very privileged to have uh, Wesley uh, Faulkner uh, on the podcast. He is a neurodiversity advocate, public speaker. He also ran for uh, the city council in Austin uh, back in 2016, as well as an interactive advisory board member uh, for South by Southwest. Uh, we spoke about many a thing, uh, many a different topics. Uh, we talked about where he would like the future of uh, sort of technology and sort of development, where he'd like it to go. We talked about, uh, yes, uh, what, uh, excuse me, what a neurodiversity advocate is. Uh, we also talked about uh, his time uh, working for South by Southwest and, yeah, how he met uh, the one, the only, the legend that is the Cookie Monster. So please sit back, enjoy the podcast, enjoy the show. Please subscribe to the podcast as well as the YouTube channel. And, yeah, enjoy it. Have a good one. Peace. <laughs> Ooh. Ah, hello my friends, hello my life warriors, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast, woo, today on episode 128, I am very privileged to have uh, Wesley Faulkner, he is a neurodiversity advocate, public speaker, he ran for public office in 2016, he's been in the technology game for the last 20 years, and he is an uh, interactive, interactive advisor board member at uh, South by Southwest. Yes. How are you today, sir? How are things in your part of the world? I, I would say dealing with the pandemic, everything is an asterisk. So I am doing well considering. <laughs> Yes, yes, aren't we all, aren't we all? I have to say, yes, with the whole realm of, oh, everyone going, it's been a year now. I'm not going, it feels, it feels like the longest year of all time. Feels like a decade, like Australian fires, like in, like in June, that felt like it was years ago. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah, you know how it is. <laughs> I have to ask now, you are an interesting person. Like you are a man from two different worlds. I have to say it, two different worlds. I don't know how you've managed to actually straddle the divide of the two worlds you come from. Like when, I'm, when I say the two different worlds, um, yeah, the University of Texas, Austin and St. Edward's University, also in Austin. How did you make that work? <laughs> okay. Um, mm -hmm. so I never got a degree. I'll just put that out there. Oh. So I did go to school. I went to university of Texas immediately after high school, um, got to junior year mm. and I didn't come from a very affluent, uh, upbringing. So, um, I put myself through school and I did that with, uh, a co-op with this company called Centaur. Right. And what I do is I would take a semester and go to school, take a semester for my co-op, work at Centaur, save all of that money for that semester and put it towards the next year 
to help pay for school, books, tuition, room and board, um, all of that stuff. And I did that for a couple of years and then Centaur got acquired by this larger company called Via and they laid off or fired anyone who was not a full-time employee. And so I did try to do the same thing, but living off credit cards and I got into a debt and I got to the point where I had to choose between keep going to school or keep living under a roof and eating. And so I dropped out of school in order to get a job and that's kind of my tech journey of like formal getting a working full time to, to support myself. One of the roles that I eventually got was I was a product development engineer for AMD several years later. Mm. And in that role, they gave you reimbursement for classes. And so I re-enrolled in school to try to finish up my degree. Uh, and um, right. <laughs> When I got to, I would say, junior year of that, uh, I switched careers and switched companies and lost the credits and then couldn't afford to go to school. So, um, and then I started my second career in marketing and I did marketing for about a decade. And at this point in my career, switching now to being a developer advocate, I have, it's, it's one of those things like, do I need a degree anymore? I mean, I haven't really been uh, encumbered by it too much. So, um, I haven't revisited that tale and kind of closed that chapter. Yeah, no, because like, this is the thing with like, like I'm like, I'm a kid of the seventies and eighties. So basically when like sort of t like it was coming into the, yes, this is it. And everyone was like, right. What's this? Quite a lot of the things you learned in sort of computing, by the time you actually got your degree and you were out in the real world, it kind of was like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. It, right. it moved at quite a pace. And like with regards to being, okay, Austin, I would say, if anything, that is the sort of Silicon Valley of the South. Um, do you consider Texas the South or do you just consider Texas, Texas? That actually i'm really confused about that sometimes it's the south some people call it the west uh i don't uh i think it's the south i'll just say south yeah like <laughs> central yeah. south uh, yeah it's the south <laughs> yeah you know but austin is its own sort of technological hub and like yeah doing mm -hmm. like going into university doing computer science and then basically okay switching from computer science to going to marketing and then basically becoming an advocate um, I'm not too sure which sort of degree would prepare you to say be an advocate if you get what I mean. It's like, yes, like this course in advocacy, go for it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, nothing. I don't think any. So if actually I'm in a community with a lot of developer advocates and most of them have non-traditional avenues into technology and into the advocacy space, mm. Some are theater majors, uh, some are professors, some are teachers, some have done uh, art degrees. There's a lot of people who have like a diversity of backgrounds that go into uh, advocacy space because you have to deal with so many different types of people and technologies that it actually behooves you to be able to relate to different sets of tools and people at the same time. Yeah, like with that, you say there's a lot of 
diverse, well, different groups would get into the realm of advocacy. Like, with, like, would you be able to sort of like clarify in some regards, like when someone goes advocacy, what does that mean in the realms of say technology or what does that mean for like, well, for you on a sort of day-to-day -day basis? Sure, developer advocacy is a subset of something called developer relations. Developer relations is where it's how the company relates to their customer base, which depending on what they do, the customers are developers. So if you do developer tool sets or APIs, those kind of things, that's those are your customers. And uh, an advocate is a person who's in developer relations that represents the company as a person to the customer base, the developers, and at the same time represents the developers on the inside of the company and helps advance their wishes. So they get feedback on product documentation, uh, that time of those type of like product planning meetings that to it to choose how to iterate or make it better. And also on the outside of the company, they go do public speaking, they do webinars, they do video tutorials, those types of things to actually speak and to communicate and loop in and be in the community where developers hang out. And like with regards to yourself, like what drew you to basically becoming like a neurodiversity advocate in the first place? Neurodiversity specifically, that's, that's part of my own journey. Uh, and, it, and I was thinking about this right before we started this call about what makes me an advocate in that realm. And the quick answer is a few letters that I added to my bio. That, that is another thing that is not really prescribed. There's no plans on how to be an advocate on neurodiversity, but because of my own personal history and my journey and the kind of roadblocks that I ran into and the lack of awareness for my own self-preservation, mental health, and to help with being okay with myself, I felt that I need to make sure that one, I disclose, let people know that I'm part of a neurodiversity space and uh, to help break some walls of what that looks like and how that operates. Uh, and two, to raise the awareness of the space that I'm in so I don't have to make excuses all the time. I forget names, I'm bad at spelling, all of these things uh, come with uh, I, I'm both uh, dyslexic and ADHD. And so I try to make sure that I put it out there. This is a description of some of the things that are me, but isn't something that fully encompasses me. This is just a, an aspect of me. I, I've, the problems I, I talked about before of making sure that there's space, there's understanding for people who have some of the same both benefits and detractions um, in terms of tools and tips and 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 uh, things that make me who I am. Uh, I I need to make sure that they understand that I'm a full package person. I'm a whole person, and that there should be space for people like me. Uh, so that has done a few things. One, I've gotten a lot of inbound by just putting that tag on my bio saying I'm an advocate. 
I've yeah. been able to be able to do some public speaking, be a part of some some panels and groups and discussions about what was uh, my life like, what is in in the both the growing up and in the professional space of working in tech. Um, been able to give some other talks on how I've been able to cope and get as far as I have. And uh, for people who have known me or um, or are just now getting to know me, it gives them permission to talk to me about like, so how about this? How about that? What's hard? What's easy? What is it like? And just really share my experience and make it less of a uh, an arm's length topic, something that can be really close to me and that I can speak about openly. So those are some of the reasons why I call myself an advocate. One, because I really do want to make space for people like me and to, to make sure that I myself am okay with being myself. No, that is great. You know, like this is the thing. It, I think it's always hard in this world at this present time to basically have your sort of true sort of identity out there because like, well, like, how can I put it? We all have to sort of play a little bit of a game sometimes when it comes to going out there and meeting people and everything like this. If you've got other things, which you kind of like going, okay, like, I don't want people to jump to the assumption because I might have this one thing and that that's forever sort of tainted you in their eyes. Like, okay, we have some regards, you can turn to those people and go, yeah, stop being a little bit of a dick, like get over it and get to know me properly. But there are those sort of inherent biases when it sort of comes to sort of like a dyslexia and like ADHD and like, you know what I mean? I don't like, I won't, I can't sort of say how that's most really affected your sort of journey, but I think do you understand where I'm coming from. Yes. Information without context can be weaponized. Mm. So if you hear that someone killed someone a few years ago, you're like, Oh my gosh, that's horrible. But then if you hear that they are a soldier and it was a combat zone, then you're like, Oh, okay, well I can, understand it was life or death they had to do what they had to do in that situation so that those facts are both the same but it was the context that allowed you to put it in a different category because the brain loves to put things in category danger bad evil that kind of stuff and uh, once you're in that bucket it's hard to move you from one bucket to the other so being able to present that information in context makes things a lot easier when you're first meeting someone and uh and also getting work, getting jobs, identifying as neurodiverse sometimes is, can be a strike against you. Because some people might think that, I don't know, I, I don't even want to throw out some of those stereotypes to, to I don't want to perpetuate harm. Mm. But there are some negative stereotypes around people who are neurodiverse and how they associate with people and how they work in groups. And I, I want to make sure that I try to break that uh, that form of understanding of what that is and kind of make it easier to accept knowing that I can be part of that context of, oh yeah, my person I follow on Twitter is neurodiverse. The best friend that I have is neurodiverse. My, uh, my brother-in-law is neurodiverse. Being able to add, put myself in a place of representation, I think can help with hopefully putting into context when people self-identify 
like before there's like Rayman, the movie with Dustin Hoffman. And when people think of um, uh, like autism, that's what they go to because of the, the lack of representation in media. Um, so I'm just trying to add my voice and hopefully in the future, it'll be more of a chorus rather than a solo. Well, like, hey, forget the chorus. Let, let's go with a legion of voices speaking in <laughs> harmony. And yes. That's one, uh, like going in, hopefully, uh, one direction and making things better for one and all, I say, you know? But yeah, I wonder- Was that a boy band reference? Just that checking. No, no, it's not a, it's not a boy <laughs> band reference. Like, as I was saying it, I was like, yeah, they're One Direction. Like, yeah, it, you know about them over there as well. Okay, I say nothing else. That's it. <laughs> uh, like it, but he gets pop references from other places. And it's all good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I imagine, like, we've been, like, we're being dyslexic in the realm of, say, development. That must have been kind of a little bit of a challenge. How did you sort of overcome some of those challenges? Oh, well, I, my personal, in, in terms of like coding and dealing with that is heavily relied on copy and paste okay. to <laughs> work around errors and to work around syntax problems. Um, but Luckily, we're in a, a time right now where there's a lot of web tutorials. There's a lot of YouTube videos. There's a lot of ways to get information rather than going and sitting in a class or reading a book. And that's probably the, part, the two ways that I, I don't really learn that well uh, is in a class in the back um, or in a book, but more interactive. So taking questions, putting it into Stack Overflow, figuring out those answers, uh, getting example code, tinkering with that. Um, I've, when um, like the age of web development, I used to just like view source, copy paste, and then uh, like put in my own document and then just, you know, tweak the, tweak the words, tweak the settings. And that's how I would learn was starting from a known good and just kind of like morphing it to the way that um, I really wanted to, for it to look like, uh, and for code, that's where I've learned base, best with like GitHub, get the code. I don't know how it all works, but I know if I start messing with these settings, then I can get it to do what I wanted to do. And that's kind of where I've started and how I've worked around, uh, some of the syntax problems. Like I, I need spell check. Spell check is a godsend and, uh, being able to find errors before they happen by just making sure I start with a known good is, is basically my, my crutch that I've used. Yeah. No, no, like, yeah. Like, like back in the day when like I sort of dabbled in a little bit of HTML, the sort of, yes, copying the source code and like, yeah. That was like, yes, one of my favorite things to do, just like copy, paste, does it work? Okay, it does, great. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, if you put me on to anything like sort of JavaScript, okay, JavaScript people, that was an old computer language. I'm not too sure if they even use it anymore. But it's like I'm, back in the day, it's like, I'm, like JavaScript, yeah. like a bit like hieroglyphics, I imagine, in this day and age. It's like, yeah. 
Yeah, the assembly language of the web, yes. Oh, yeah. It's like, well, like, hey, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But with, yeah, I imagine like, with today's sort of environment, yeah, you're right. There are a lot of other ways people can learn. There's uh, another, a number of different ways people can take advantage of, like, opportunities. Uh, would you say, like, you were quite fortunate being in, like, Austin with the realm of sort of, like, technology and development because it's one of these things where I imagine these jobs are there but they can be difficult to access if you're sort of coming from a different place in the country or in the different place in the world. Absolutely. Um, I mentioned that I uh, or maybe I didn't mention that one of my first jobs was at Dell um, and being in Austin, it's almost like hard to meet someone who hasn't worked at Dell. So the the community of people who were able to help me get in the door was overwhelming because I, I always knew someone or someone knew someone who knew someone. Hmm. Uh, and I've gotten a lot of jobs based on that network and building out the network of people have continuously opened up opportunities for me to advance my career. So networking has been the cornerstone of my success and making sure that I'm around people who understand who I am, who believe in me, um, has been the key to my success. And also gives me the ability to ask the questions, which is a big part of learning is being vulnerable enough and having enough people to say, hey, I don't know how to do this or what does this mean? Or what does this acronym stand for? Which is a, a half of tech is acronyms. So being in Austin definitely has helped me with building my connections and my community. And, um, and without those, I would not be in the place where I am. Yeah, like this is the thing, like, um, but let's just say, um, I think your secret is out with regards to Austin, like because people have been talking about Austin. But like I was made aware of it about sort of two years ago. Like people were like, oh, Austin, oh, yeah, like it's purple in the middle of like the red, and oh, it's like it's like okay, right. And ever since, let's just say uh, a sort of a certain a bald individual with a very small, teeny podcast moved into your like local area um yeah it's gone sort of like kind of crazy um like that sort of well, that sort of attention and sort of influx of people you might like how when did you sort of start noticing that the is it right saying the flood but let's go with the wave of new people coming into like the austin area so I don't know if you mentioned, I think you mentioned in my bio that I'm on the board, um, advisory board for South by Southwest Interactive, which is a pretty big festival. Yes. Uh, actually going on right now. And so I've been to every South by since 2008. <laughs> and it kind of blew up, I would say, 2012, I think was when it was very, very peak uh, in terms of year-over-year growth mm. it's steady have grown since then but i would say 2012 is from 2011 was like a really big jump and a lot of people who 
came into town, said, I've heard about Austin. I want to move here. I want to move here. And going, meeting people from 20, 2008 to 2011, a big chunk of those people had indeed moved to Austin by that, uh, by 2012. And so that's when I felt like the news is out. And uh, I think Twitter launched in, at South by in Austin. And so it, it became more than just a generalized great place to be. But if you're in tech, it, it, it was the destination and the place to be if you want to be amongst those people who knew uh, some of these founders, some of these behemoths in tech, at least in this general area that's outside of California and New York and some of those hubs. So that's, I would say 2012 is when it, it dawned on me that this is the place to go. The, the, it was really great weather. It was affordable still at that time. It was easy to travel and and you have all the creature, uh, all the comforts of any big city. And Texas was extremely welcoming, especially for businesses. It, it felt like the place to be in and, and it hasn't changed since 2012. And it's only that more people are just finding out about this. Yeah, because like this is the thing I heard about South by Southwest must be about five years ago, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, but it's like, every, like all the sort of major sort of tech billionaire, billionaires today have gone through South by Southwest, like say some like mm. sorry, 14 years ago. And like, yes, conversations were had. And like, yes, if you were in the room, like you may have been in the room, like with like, yeah, a Jeff Bezos, like, yeah, Zuck, like Zucks. Or like, yeah, Elon Musk, like sort of like, uh, yeah, just talking about stuff, not really sort of knowing what their sort of true potential was going to be, you know? So it must have been very exciting uh, back then. But yes, the change uh, with regards to you just made mention when it was affordable uh, to live in Austin still, because one of the things I kind of see with people sort of doing that mass drive out of say San Francisco to Austin is because it was like, yes, the prices have gone crazy and everything's gone up and everything like that. But I can't, like it's like, can't you see what possibly is gonna happen in Austin? Not unless if Austin triples in size or like quadruples in size in a very quick time, you just bring in those problems from California to here. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's why I ran for city council in 2016 because mm. I noticed that the not only the growth but the investment was unequal around the city. There are a lot of places that are reaping the wealth of the booming tech economy that's happening in Austin. But there are areas that have been seemingly neglected, both in development and transportation, and even in city services. It's just not equal. The, the, Austin, unlike San Francisco, does have annexability, so it can grow. We have a lot of extra space to be an even bigger city. Everybody, but if in Texas, it's instead of yeah, instead of growing by evenly distributing everything, there are places where they're just forcing people out. 
people can't afford to live there anymore. Places that are food deserts where there uh, aren't any grocery stores, those still exist. So instead of lifting everyone up mm. to the point where everyone's graduating to a better, like from apartment to a house, from a starter house to yeah. a, a bigger house, because they're able to partake in this growth, people who move from one apartment complex um, to another apartment complex because the previous one raised their rent and they can't afford it, or they're now in a trailer park and that trailer park is being bulldozer, bulldozed because they're gonna put condos up because the land is worth that much and then people are homeless. There are a lot of things in the Austin area where the, the focus is really not on the people and it absolutely can go the way of San Francisco in terms of homelessness and the economic disparity between the people who are, are making the money and the people who aren't mm. because of where they're concentrating all of this wealth and incentivizing that growth with tax breaks, with, um, with all of these incentives to hire people who may not be in the general area um, because uh, even though Austin has been booming in terms of how many people are moving there, mm -hmm. the, 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 the rate of taxation has increased on top of that because they've taken money from the general base and focused it on some of these, uh, enticing some of these companies to move into the area. Tesla being one of the most recent. Yeah. Uh, that Austin's a great place. It is a very welcoming place the tax incentives aren't really necessary anymore because people want to move there. We don't need to kind of entice someone to move to Austin in terms of the, the companies themselves. And if that money was better distributed amongst the actual residents and not so focused on business, um, it, 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 I think people, especially when you're talking about weathering the storm, both the financial crisis that happened recently with a pandemic, with the power outage and water outage that happened in Texas, all of that, if people were given more money and more resources, they would be more um, easy, they would better be able to take care of themselves and uh, to produce and to chart a better future. Yeah, no, because yeah, recently when like basically uh, like Texas, uh, the line of winter is coming like, like came to mind, like winter came in with a sledgehammer and went, hey, snow. It was like, yes. And when you saw the sort of power grid go down and like and everything like this, people really sort of suffering through that. It kind of was a bit of a surprise in some regards, but houses are not designed to take that cold down in Texas, but it was kind of still the power network failing so badly was a real surprise to me and that sort of was like why did that happen at uh, sitting as an outsider um mm -hmm. and uh, when you're with you talking right now saying yes the investment hasn't been sort of evenly distributed it's one of those things where you kind of look at local government is local government <laughs> but um i would have thought there would have been it felt like there was more of a plan in place, if you get what I mean, to sort of like, sort of still lift up the whole of Austin, but doesn't seem to, from what you're saying, 
doesn't seem to be ringing true. Well, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease and when you're poor, your, your squeak is not as loud as those that have a billion dollars or a million dollars behind it. Mm. So the, the, the squeak of the, the loud is the money and the squeak of the, the lowly people who are just, most of their time is spent with trying to get by, not going to city hall meetings, not filing petitions, not gathering signatures. They don't, there's not a lot of uh, time to squeeze that into your, your regular work schedule when you have to work multiple jobs to make sure ends are uh, making ends meet. Um, the, the, yeah, the, the, unfortunately, I feel hopefully things will get better with the protests that happened in Austin during uh, George Floyd's uh, murder, there, there was a little bit more realizing that there are other people that they have not focused on. And just recently, they've done a, a camping ordinance where they used to arrest people if you had a tent, if you're a homeless person, you had a tent uh, in public. Now they've eased that some of those restrictions so people can at least stay. Then there is also uh, purchasing during the downturn recently of abandoned and uh, foreclosed on uh, 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 hotels and motels and then turning those into homeless shelters because they got them at a cheap price and then hopefully that can alleviate some of the housing crisis. But just as quickly as those things popped up, there's the the counterpoint of, oh, we can see camping people. That's making me feel unsafe. It looks this makes this place look unclean, mm-hmm. just like San Francisco. We don't want this place to turn into a San Francisco. So there's more of a more of a impetus to remove it from sight rather than deal with the problem. Mm-hmm. And those forces uh, are still the the NIMBYs, not in my backyard, are, are still pretty strong in Austin, where people acknowledge there's a problem. Yeah. They just don't want any solutions that make the problem too prominent for them. So like with all of this going on and still with a lot of work to do in Austin, like will you be running again, say? (laughs) I get asked this question all the time. And the answer right now, (laughs) <laughs> answer right now is no uh the reason why it's no is because going running the first time it put a lot through my family through a lot there was a lot of uh time spent away from the family uh, a lot of dealing with uh very niche issues because i did do a lot of studying even though i mentioned that reading is not my forte uh, i really dove into how these problems came about who were the key players and their positions and why things like this have allowed it to happen. And politics is uh, a ladder of power. And if you're at the bottom rung, you can only do so much, but you can yell about it. And so you try to get higher on that ladder so you can yell louder. And then you end up being so far away from the thing that you were wanting to, to change. And I think Austin is a really good example of that after, like I ran in 2016, the same year that Trump uh, ran, he won. And after that, there was a renewed focus on uh, liberal cities, uh, liberal mayors, liberal like laws and city council. And there was like an attack, not just from 
the national level, but from the state level, from the the governor of Texas was attacking or had their sights set on Austin. Mm. And it, the, the politics part of it in terms of just making, sounding good, looking good, uh, but not focused on change and a measurement of how it'll improve the average person's life. Uh, that part I learned a lot about and it has become less attractive. I'll never fully rule it out, but if I feel that there is something where my impact can make a market change for the better for people, I'll definitely reconsider, but right now it's a no. <laughs> I, I'm, I, it, it makes me chuckle when you say no, because this is the thing. I'm, I'm getting a vibe for you. And like, this is the, like, you don't strike me as a person who can like just stand haplessly by without like a, like saying something or doing something. So I think this is the thing. Like you, you say no now, but I think a rush of blood and like, yeah, the calling will come. I think you'll be running again. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm gonna stand by, but I'm just, uh, there's a difference between being a really good cook and loving to feed people and opening a restaurant. Mm. The overhead with trying to do fundraising, go to these events, do all the things around the actual part of running for office, all of that stuff, that machine that you have to put together and then maintain and then do every two, four years, depending on the position. Um, that part is really hard and unattractive for me. And that's the part that I want to stay away from. Uh, but in terms of helping people and being involved, that is something that I feel that I could never give up. Well, you know what? I'm sure if there's like, if there's a partner out there who might want to take up this like sort of cause with you, yeah, that, that you will find them. Because like the reason why I also say this, um, yeah. When you got on to the, how did you get on to the advisory board in South by Southwest? That is a little bit of a mystery. Um, I can tell you the, the things that led up to that and I'm putting it together. Um, I, I've met, I'm a, I'm a networker. I met a lot of people who worked at South by Southwest. So I think I got on their radar. Mm. Um, and then after being at South by going to a few, I've noticed some things that were on the dec decline. And I wrote a blog post called South by Southwest, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I kind of evaluated the whole conference and said, this is some things that's really good. This is some things that were, were poor and can be approved. And this is this thing that's horrific and never should be done again, basically. And I'm not sure who saw it or brought it up to uh, Hugh. Hugh's, a, who's a, Hugh's a, Hugh Forrest is the program uh, head for South by. And he asked, hey, instead of complaining about it, how about you make it better from the inside? And so that's how um, I got asked to be on it. And so several people saying, well, how can I be on it? And I was like, I don't know, maybe write a blog. But I, <laughs> so I don't know about there's like a, a formal nomination or uh, application process, but uh, I, I got tapped on the shoulder and um, uh, asked to be on it. And, that, and I said, yes. Ah, love it. That you know what? Starts with the power of one blog post. The ripples, my friend, the ripples go everywhere. You never know how these ripples might affect things. 
And yeah, now it's got you on the advisory board of South by Southwest. Now, uh, with South by Southwest, like you've most really met lots of prominent people. But like, this is the thing. I'd say most really the most prominent person I've ever seen you most really with. Um, like he's a he's a humble he's a humble noble chap, and he loves the cookies. <laughs> Cookie monster. <laughs> yes. Uh, you saw that. <laughs> what, did you see the picture or the video? I saw the video. <laughs> the video. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I think I, I sent that. I, um, so I have a friend, her name's Honey Goodenough. That's her real name, Honey Goodenough. Yeah. She's a puppeteer. And I think uh, she knew some of the, the puppeteers there. And I think I might have, was it the shout out to her, to her in that video? I, or is it to my son? I'm not, I just saw the video. I didn't read the, like the text, but I was like, just there. You, like you looking like, oh my God. It's him. I wish I had a cookie to give him, but I don't think you had a copy-like-sized <laughs> big giant cookie to give him to, so he could ravage, as they say. Yes. A lot of fun times. A lot of fun times. A lot of, lot of people that have been around. I'm, I'm, that's one reason why I will always be a supporter of South By, because mm. where else can you have the serendipity of just walking by and seeing Cookie Monster and, like, Hey, let's take a video. Let's 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 meet. It's it's I've I've had those types of experiences time and time and time again. And every year that I go to South by, I'm like, who am I going to meet this time? Who am I going to run into this time? What kind of experience am I going to have this time? There's there's one you mentioned Game of Thrones yes. that they had basically a whole Game of Thrones immersive experience that I was able to go to. That was pretty awesome. Who? I mean, I didn't plan it. They brought it to me. It was really amazing. And South by time and time again, it will amaze you. If you ever have a chance to go, I would definitely opt into doing that. Perfect, perfect. Like, okay, like obviously like Cookie Monster is number one, the numero uno, like, like the Don, the boss uh, of like meeting people at South by Southwest. Who else have you sort of run into just purely by surprise, would you say? I'm not sure how much you know about this person. His name is Baratunde Thurston. Uh, he is uh, almost everywhere this year uh, in different places, but I met him, I think a decade ago, like a long time ago. When And at that time he was a writer for The Onion and then he helped with um, the Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Trevor Noah right when he took it over. Uh, and um, I and this is all like back then when he just was a regular. I shouldn't say he was a regular person, but like as a person that wasn't like on my radar. Just meeting him was amazing at South by. Um, uh, so many other, so many people like um, at the time when I was getting into social media, meeting the founders of Social Media Club, uh, th that was pretty amazing. It, um, that there, there's so many people out that it's like every year. Uh, so I saw Elon speak, I saw Barack Obama speak, but I didn't actually meet them. Shoot, 
Oh, oh, Jesse Jackson. That was, he was pretty amazing. Um, I, I met him. <sighs> yeah, that, that, that was like meeting someone from history, meeting Jesse Jackson. Like the things he's seen, the things he's gone through. Uh, that was, I would say that one was like, I, I don't know if I can compare that. I think uh, that would be your number one, Jesse Jackson. I, yeah, because Jesse Jackson shared the Oh, it wasn't 84 or 86, but yeah, he was the uh, first like black man to run for like president of the United States. Like, yes, there was like a very amusing comedy like skit mm -hmm. uh, on um, Eddie Murphy. Like, was it Roar Delirious? No, Delirious, where it was like, going, yes, I'm going to be the first black president of the United States. That's why I'm working out. <laughs> it's like, um, <laughs> be the people. <laughs> it's like, just like, <laughs> You won't stay still. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> You'll be on the pony. Yes. Yes. Stop right there. <laughs> but yeah, as you say, Jesse Jackson, all joking aside, yes. Um, he has seen, been, and like, you know what I mean? Like, rubs up, like, shoulders with some of, yeah of like history of the 20th century, like 20th century. Uh, you can't really get much better than that. But Jesse Jackson, did you shake his hand or like, did you, what did you say to him? Does that have interest say? Can you remember? Oh yeah, this was the one of those, it was just a really quick meet and greet. So it was like, hi, hi. And then that was it. So it was just shaking his hand. We didn't even, we didn't really have a conversation, mm. which was, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm actually glad that we didn't get into that point because I would not know what to say. So hi is so, it's like, I think I use up all the vocabularies in my brain at that time. <laughs> Just like, hello, I'm Jesse Jackson. <laughs> it's like, why are you giggling like that? It's like, oh, I don't like, it. it's like, yeah. Exactly. Like, we're South by Southwest. Now, Here's the thing, you like you get kind of very privy to lots of sort of technology, like or sort of companies which are sort of on the rise. Like, was there any sort of companies you kind of like see a few years ago where you looked at that and went, yeah, that's going places? Or you looked at another company and went, that's not gonna happen, but it turned out to be like the next big thing. Uh, Twitter, uh, when they launched, I thought this is pretty awesome because uh, everyone was talking about it. So the buzz is one of the reasons why I think with the influencers, quote unquote, while it took off in the early days, kind of like what Clubhouse is right now, um, is where you hear the buzz of people and everyone talking about it, that it feels like it's going to be a big deal. Um, there are some that I loved that didn't turn out to be so such a big deal like Foursquare um, that kind of fizzled and died, uh, at least in the form that I knew it and loved it. Um, gosh, companies that blew up that I thought were crap. Oh man. <laughs> I don't think I've, I've seen one. Um, and that's not me tooting my own horn, but I think generally speaking, I'm pretty skeptical. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> And 
and I, I, I can understand some fundamentals, um, but I think Snapchat maybe be one. Yeah, Snapchat is one that I, I saw, didn't really understand, didn't know why it would be big, and it, it blew up from there. That, that would be one that I feel like I missed out on. Yeah, like it's interesting you say Snapchat because like Snapchat has been like, they've been, how can I put it? People have been calling the death of Snapchat for the last sort of five, five years, but yet it kind of like keeps soldiering on, keeps walking along and like everything, like everything which has been done to it, like from um, one individual who will remain nameless, but like, yeah. No, no, I won't say anything else. But still, it seems like he's had a personal vendetta against them, but they still are there. And you kind of like, it's part of me, which is kind of rooting for them to like keep going, if you get what I mean. It's because, yeah, like, come on, come on, Snapchat. Yeah, every, like, I think a lot of their features just keep getting stolen and they just keep still limping along, still uh, like making the next. AR, VR lens or whatever to, to get some more buzz and to hook more users and they're and they're still growing. So yeah, Snapchat is definitely one that uh, I'm written for you uh, just because someone's trying to take you out and you're like, no, <laughs> you're like uh, Eddie Murphy on that podium trying not to get shot. So, yep. <laughs> What's wrong, sucks? No, they won't stay still. Come on. <laughs> They keep moving. They keep changing. But yeah, like one of the things I find very interesting of late, and like this is like the realm of sort of big tech, like big tech over the last few years have grown to such a point where like sometimes to scary levels. Do you think the change is on the horizon where they're going to be like, okay, big tech? Like it's time for a couple of you guys to be split up, broken that like into different like companies because the monopoly is too much in place. Well, if that was going to happen, this is probably the best uh, chance of that to happen with this current administration. Mm. I personally uh, understand the dangers of big tech and how they can uh, with only a handful of companies make huge, huge changes in the market and how people live their lives. But I don't think breaking up tech is the answer. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, big tech or the problems that is caused by them is what should be the focus, not the size of the company, but what is it that they're exhibiting that is considered dangerous and to laser in on that behavior. Um, we've seen with, um, in this country, the, the bells um, the being broken up. We've seen with Microsoft being scared of being broken up and them being restricted in terms of their growth that other players that you may not have heard of, like Google at the time of Microsoft, that made an opening for that upstart to, to take that void, to, to fill that space that was left. And then they became the dominant player. So we're going to keep going through the cycle. If we only point to the size as the thing to regulate or to control rather than the activity and the behavior that is seen as hurtful 
or anti-competitive. So um, if I, it would be more effective in my opinion, once again, if we can focus in, in on that behavior and uh, regulate that rather than the size of the company or what the company does, but just prevent them from doing the thing that is actually causing harm. Yeah. No, because it's interesting that you mentioned Google because like, this is the thing, like at the time when there was that sort of pressure being put on Microsoft because of them packaging in the Explorer with Windows 95 and like basically their operating system, it did leave a sort of hole for sort of Google to sort of like move in and grow in, well, one, having the Chrome like search engine, well, sorry, browser, and then basically them in search a lot more. Like, I know there will be some people out there going, yeah, you see that? When like there was like sort of that pressure to sort of like do that, it gave other opportunities for other companies to sort of grow, give them an access right now with sort of big tech that those opportunities are not there. Or if they are there, they get quickly acquired or snapped up or, and then it just gets put to one side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, uh, these aren't these are very normal, very normal companies, companies to the point where they're, they're like, they're like they're have, different have different different ways of ways operating, operating that is going to be in the benefit of the people. They are they focusing are on themselves and their company, and they're, company. And they're and just going to grow and fill the vacuum that's left. That's they're just like a gas rather than someone who's noble entity that's trying to help just do the great good of what's going to help them out. Hmm. Yeah, one of the things I do like find interesting as well, like with the sort of rise of TikTok, like do you think sort of the next sort of wave of sort of development and technology companies in the realms of software are going to come, like is it going to come more from the outside of the United States where it's been mostly United States dominant? Australia, Australia is coming up there. Up there. If you uh, look if you in the world in development, development and, and where we're focused our efforts to make sure the developers have our tools and are using our services. services. Uh, India, uh, India and China, China, China are some of the products experiencing some of the explosive growth, and we want to make sure that they are supplied and they are educated so that so that they can use our application. So when they do get large. Uh, uh, that they're going to be large of our platform. platform. Um, when you look when you at also in China, China, they're almost they're splintering their internet. Their internet. So they're, so they're making a copy of Twitter, they make a copy of Facebook, Facebook they make a copy of YouTube. Uh, they've blocked, uh, they've blocked like Clubhouse I mentioned before, and they're making a four and they're making a copy of that. So their segments are growing, and it can be huge there without influence in the United States. But as I say that, we have TikTok, right? And so TikTok mm -hmm. has TikTok been has, a, a huge explosion worldwide. And so I think China is really China is showing, really showing um, they can they use can technology and technology and be on par with the United States, United States companies. Um, but there is so much, so much uh, innovation, uh, innovation in India and in the continent of Africa. I'm seeing a lot of smaller companies that are solving some of the problems that we have solved. And so 
slow and innovative way that I think really can translate. Can we translate? Just get enough attention. Attention, focus and focus the biggest and part is like the best part is like the money kind of money powers all of this powers all of this get to this mediocre growth in order to get the hockey stick for growth they need this income and inflection of cash and so as long as the United focus stays here in the United States and China where they're able to have Type of funds, um, type of funds. Um, it will slow down it will the slow down the growth but I think you can't areas like areas like but with the continent of Africa like this event like yeah my like my family descent is Nigerian like and like I would like to think that sort of Nigeria would be like front and center in that sort of charge but which sort of like African countries have been sort of like the sort of come like the country's taking the first sort of tentative steps, would you say? Nigeria, Nigeria Ghana, Ghana uh, um, South, South Africa. South Africa. Um, um, those are those the ones that are fine. But they're exploding, but they also, but they also have, have a lot of. Um, um, Complicated, complicated structures, structures in those companies where um, I don't think there's think enough, there's enough from an investment to really nurture these companies. And so they're all they're just all figuring it out, figuring it out and, and, and almost, almost uh, doing, it doing it on their own. Um, I myself am still learning about those areas, those areas from, from uh, being a developer advocate. Luckily, luckily I'm starting to meet more developer advocates from the region and they're informing me about how things operate there and how things are growing. But uh, uh, it feels as though they're, they're always on the cusp. The cusp. So so there could be one, one magic moment where spark 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 that really helps really them break out break out of the world, the world stage. stage. One spark. That one spark. That's what we need. Just one spark. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, now this is thing. You've mentioned Clubhouse a couple of times. It seems like, okay, if we sort of use a, like Hamilton sort of a, like thing, it seems like it's the room where it happens, the room where it happens. So like, how, like, have you been a sort of major participant of Clubhouse yourself or have you been kind of like, I've seen it and I'm waiting to see what happens? I've used it. Um, I, I, I'm a current user. user. Been there for, been there for a few months now. Months now. I'm using it as a really good, good test case to learn. Case to learn. Like how do you, how do you navigate, navigate an audio, audio space? space? How do you, how do you gather, gather people in a room and moderate that? that? How do you, how do you entice people to, to go into go something into that's something so real-time? Real time? Mm-hmm. When when you think about Twitter, when you think of even podcasts, that's, we've, we've shifted to more on-demand consumption. Um, and, and so... Learning the grammar and the um, the, the the kind of etiquette of, of, of navigating an audio space is what I'm really paying attention to. I, th- I think there is something there. There is something that is very very magnetic 
and uh, FOMO inducing from knowing that something is happening and not being a part of it and wanting to make sure that you're always available to kind of like listen in the conversation. It's like, a, it's like a, if you had a cup had to a, a cup door to a, a hotel, hotel that, that these celebrities, celebrities are in, kind of like, I want to listen in, even if I can't even participate. Can't but then knowing that, that there that may there be an opportunity, opportunity for you to get on stage and ask a question to someone you admire is, is also is very also enticing. There are sort of real pitfalls in terms of moderation and setting up a mechanism to make sure that the right voices and to say right, I would say that it's more equitable to give the mic to the person, the people in the room, rather than it being a giant theater for a demagogue. That is kind of concerning. I'm not sure if they'll focus on that and pivot to really use their inflection of cash to solve that problem. But my guess is that there is gonna be more um, more, more, more offshoots of something similar. Like I remember listening to a lot of pitch competitions and people would say, we're the Uber of X or we're the uh, Airbnb of Y where they're just using that as a, a easy way to like get you in the door and understand what they're doing. I've, I've seen pitches for, um, we are a, like clubhouse, but for the quilting community or we're like clubhouse, but for, for, for mental wellness or, for people, for people who, who are looking, looking like a closed community for people who have, have um, sensitive issues that you want to talk to some do group some chats, chats about. about. Um, so I can so see I this can totally see being this like a place, place for people, for people who, who, uh, who would who go into rehab or go to any group calls where they have, there's some, there might be some affliction where so their identity, identity might want to be masked a little bit, a little bit where, where they could, they could use this type of audio communication, communication has a lower a fingerprint, fingerprint instead of a username or, or, or people can do an analysis on how text is written to try to like find them somewhere else on the net. Uh, but it also yeah, makes it like it harder, harder for bots, for bots to take advantage of. And, and that is one thing that in the, these uh, other social these networks, other social networks that, that bots are able to infiltrate, infiltrate it. But uh, with audio, it's going to be so much harder. So um, there's a lot there. It's not, not going to go away. I'm not exactly sure of if Clubhouse is going to be the umbrella brand or if it's going to be the number one player for the entirety of the space. Of this space. Yeah, I, this is the thing. I think with Clubhouse, I think it's it's one of those things. Like because I'm a I, I'm an Android phone user, and that sort of realm of being sort of shut out of that for like straight away, you kind of like okay, I might be missing out on the opportunity, as you say, FOMO. But I think it's a case of there's part of me which is now looking at it. Is it going to become more of a feature? of someone else's sort of mainstream sort of app or will it be able to sort of stand by itself? What, how are they going to, what are they going to expand it into? What, what is it going to evolve into? That is kind of the sort of mystery at this present time. So, so um, you mentioned, um, you mentioned before, before that I'm a developer for, for daily, daily and, and we were we on product time yesterday. 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 With the toolkit tool of how you can make, you make your own audio, audio apps. apps. And, and daily started, started off 
and it's and still it's a very much a part, part of, of integrating video, video into your experiences. And some of the early, early use cases, cases were, were some of those um, chat applications chat where you have these grid of faces, faces and you're then chatting and maybe you show a presentation. But we've but grown we've from, from as, as uh, different companies have taken the cue from, from things that they are already doing, doing and they just want to make it better by sprinkling video in it, video in it that we have we've yeah, seen we've like seen, um, uh, presentation, presentation software like a PowerPoint like a that, that add collaboration abilities, abilities by using daily. daily. Uh, we've had we webinars where you have where one you head, head and then and then speaking to a sea of people kind of a uh, set up and all these different all these use cases, cases are now, are now starting to develop around, around video, video because of the, the kickstart, um, sad to say, of the pandemic and people working from home. And I think, um, you know, this is the same cloud that Clubhouse came out of in terms of audio only. And so I think it's only a matter of time before these other use cases for audio uh, start to be born, where it is not the center, but is just merely a feature, depending on what you're already doing, where audio can help enhance that experience or a way to like integrate it into your application so that it doesn't steal away, but is more of an option. And so someone can use text, someone can use video, but maybe they'll just add audio as another option. I think it's gonna be a very sort of interesting a couple of years coming up because like with, with everything sort of, I think in most people's mindset, that we are at the end of the tunnel with regards to everything what's gone on through 2020, beginning of 2021. Um, I think there's going to be some sort of more fundamental changes with the way sort of fit, some things are done. More sort of video conferencing, more sort of more telecommunication, maybe more audio on a group level. Um, but I, how can I put it? But with all of this change, I just I wonder if it's going to be seen as more of an avenue to add on, say, if you're doing a like South by Southwest event to get rather than it just being a local Austin centric thing to now sort of be more expansive so you can get more people sort of join in on sort of virtual like virtually on panels and everything like that, making it grow bigger, uh, better. Or, yeah, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's hard to close the world, the world once you experience, once you experience it. it. Like me being on this podcast, right? Um, right. But, but earlier in the week, I was at the Zillas Festival. festival. Um, um, and, and there are several attendees from all around the world. And I went to several panels with other people all around the world. So, um, um, it's hard to let that go. I, I, I love the experience. I love the ability to tap into tap this into culture, culture that, that um, I don't I live don't with day to day, hear their experiences, hear their take. Hear their take. Um, if um, I feel like my, like my knowledge, knowledge like cap has been raised, um, things that I didn't even think about, um, things I didn't ponder about um, have been tickled and excited and I, I like it and I love it and I want it to keep happening. Um, uh, I do want to see people in real life. I do want to physically visit them, but I also don't want to necessarily 
lower down this experience that I have or have had online. I still want the richness of people from different places to always be a part of that and not go back to where it was very siloed and very US centric. I'm liking that a lot. Yeah, just a slight change of tag, I must ask. Yes. You're like you are a little bit of a Star Trek fan, from what I, like yeah. So, which would be your favorite Star Trek captain? Picard, Picard. hands down. Hmm, interesting. Why Picard? Um, um I think Kirk. I think Kirk is a little bit sexist. So that's one of the things that kind of like, I kind of like, I cross the Picard mostly because I remember watching Star Trek The Next Generation. So he's the one I identify the most with, with real Star Trek. I do, I do like Jane like Wayne. She was extremely strong. strong. Um, but because of her being, her being a woman in the sci fi franchise, I believe that they dulled her character, character to the point where she was less well rounded than Picard. Picard. He was able to have like really intense hobbies and wants and dreams and a childhood. And um, I think Janeway, they, they were very focused on her doing her job. And so I got to, to me, it made her a little bit less approachable. Interesting, because like this is the thing. Picard, I, I understand why you say Picard, because yes, he's like, he was the sort of first sort of like, Thinking man's captain, if you get what I mean. You like use logic, reason, and like give you a nice, eloquent speech and everything like this. When you say Janeway second, like Janeway, she had to be like a driven force to basically, yeah, I need to get my crew home. And like, yeah, with regards to that, it was like all encompassing. Like, so having hobbies and other things like that. Yeah, she did have a thing where she was like like a student under Leonardo da Vinci, like with regards to her Hollywood, like Hollerum, Hollerum, like the holodeck, there you go, the holodeck sort of fun and games. But yeah, she had to, like she, like she was the one who sort of, like her and Cisco, if you wanted like captains, what kind of really sort of bent the rules in the next generation universe yeah those are the two you would like oh okay they, so they're exciting on that side of things but let's just say the prime directive and this is where i reveal my energy side i guess like say with the prime directive that yeah janeway would be definitely up in a court in the federation like going yeah yeah what yeah i helped the borg yeah, they they wiped out lots of more other people, other civilizations. But yeah, but here I am. I'm back home. And like, yeah, Cisco, uh, yeah, when it comes to the Romulans, he dragged them into a war, which he like supplanted fake 
fake information. Just saying, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I've, funny enough, I'm not really a really Space Nine uh, fan of, of the franchise. Sorry for those who are listening, and I'm offended. It was just way too political for me. It was just a little jockey, and it just frustrated me. So you can see why I kind of like stayed out of politics. Because like that jockey was the part that was like, oh, come on, just do the right thing, the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, but like this is the thing for the next for the next few years, you know, it's going to be a very much a very Star Trekky like world out there because you've got Discovery. Um, is it New Worlds coming out as well? Like with like the Enterprise, the original Enterprise before Kirk got like became like came on with Captain Pike. So it's a very exciting time. I think there's another TV show. I'm not too sure, but. And like I don't know. We still got season two of Picard. I think Picard's coming out. Yeah, that is true. Uh, Picard's still to come out season two, as you just mentioned. I think it. The other show is called Prodigy, but like the the fun show, which if you haven't seen it, but you've got to see it. Have you seen Star Trek Lower Decks? Uh. what, say that one more time. I, you broke it for a second. But are you talking about Lower Decks? Are you talking about Lower Decks? Yes. The cartoon? Cartoon? Yes. Have you seen it? I haven't oh, seen, it, but, uh, seen it, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. It looks oh, fun. Oh, you've got to watch it. Looks it looks fun. Oh, it is. It is. You've got to watch it. I've got to say that. You've got to watch it. You have a, like, you have a laugh. And they, f- they sprinkle in little inside jokes. So if you like, if you're a fan of Star Trek... You're in. You're in. <laughs> Got to say. All right, you sold me. You sold me. No problem. So, what, like, with regards to the future, what would you like to see happen with regards to either big tech or sort of development in, say, the next, say, five years? Um, uh, being a person of color, color um, um, I'm really I'm focused, really focused on, on equity, equity and inclusion. When I when yeah, we brought up clubhouse a lot, but that's just that's another just you know, example, example, example of where you see where people, you see people, people are, are who are really trying, trying to, to uh, uh, push them in the right, the right direction, direction, who have really, really developed a culture, culture on their platform, on platform and making and their making voice known and. Almost uh, making it making legitimate in certain, certain circles because of the participation. participation. Um, uh, I would like, I would to, like see to see more of that arrive. I think you can see even Google with what their problems they've had and their AI division with the dismissal of Dr. Timothy Jibru and other people in that area and recruiting. There's a lot of pushback from individuals and companies who are saying, like, you're doing wrong and you need to fix this. We're coming from the era of a whole bunch of black squares as profile pictures this past summer. And now people are doing audits and saying, okay, you said Black Lives Matter. Show me the work. Show me what you've done. And I just want that to keep going. And so if, if I had a hope or a dream for the next five years, is that, is that 
these this pushback, this recognition, and this raising of voices is something that continues and is amplified, and then it just shifts from one group to the other, and making it this this flywheel, this movement that makes everything better for all marginalized communities, whether you're LGBTQ+, whether you are indigenous, whether you're in uh, a country outside the United States, whether or not you're Asian, whether or not you're intersex, whether or not you you are trans, and if you identify as non-genderforming or whatever, I hope that that this movement keeps moving the center of power closer to those groups groups and and, um, uh, makes things just just more inclusive and more equitable equitable, um, for people like me who are neurodiverse, people for me who are a person of color, color, and people who are not like me me that don't get get the attention that they should. So with that, and like, have there been sort of active programs, which you you mentioned the black squares where everyone did that, so like represent Black Lives Matter last like last summer. But what had like have you seen programs being put into place by sort of different companies to like go okay, we need to work towards this, 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 and they have like sort of I don't know about a sort of manifesto, but like you know I mean a sort of goal to like make things, like to implement those changes you've mentioned? Not specifically, specifically, not one that I can can really point um, um, uh, or put a name to, to, but but you've probably heard of Substack where people are starting their own newsletters. I see a resurgence of local media and niche media. Like if even here in the States, the 19th launched in the middle of the pandemic, which is a news outlet focusing on political interests of women. Um, um, run by a friend of mine, which is nice. nice. Um, uh, but, but there, there are, are other publications, publications and, and um, there's other investments in journalism that is that's doing some of this work and doing the deep dive of trying to shine a light on hypocrisy of tech and um, some of the promises that are not fulfilled. Um, there's probably an organization that I'm just not able to name right now, but there is a movement to cover this, that this is important and it's worth talking about. And um, if, if there's not one that exists, there's one that's being made and it's one that's just not um, gotten to my attention yet, but I, I wouldn't put it past that, past that, that this is being done right now. Okay, I like that. I like that a lot. Okay, uh, yes. Mm. Now, you know, I have to reveal to you that you most already heard this before, but I'm happy to reveal to you that I am a being of supreme cosmic power and abilities. And I have the ability to give you one wish, that I, one wish and only one wish. Right now, before you even say anything, no wishing for world peace, no wishing for COVID to be gone because that took too much energy. And like, yeah, I, like Dolly Parton is older, tremendous, like thanks, good God. I'm never gonna hear the end of it. 
And yeah, no writing down everything on a piece of paper and go, I wish everything on this piece of paper comes true. And yes, and, and you can't wish for like, yes, diversity to be more in the tech because you've already mentioned that and you've got to get something fresh. What would your one wish be? Um, I would love for every human to have a baseline knowledge of truth and science. I, th I think that the, 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 there's the interpretation or misinterpretation of what is real and what is uh, true has caused a lot of disagreements and um, and problems and I think it hampers innovation and it causes um, conflicts in terms of being able to, to relate to one another. So if, I, if everyone had the same baseline of knowledge, not saying that anyone's learned about that or wouldn't understand the nuance of that or how it applies differently, that's totally fine. But at least some guaranteed baseline, I think it will help alleviate some of the, the work we need to do just to talk to each other and relate to each other. Excellent, excellent. A baseline of truth. Okay, like that. Whew. That might be a tall order and who knows where the truth might lead. <laughs> That's a bit of a mystery. But nevertheless, okay, I'll get working on that for you. Now, I have to like I have to say thank you very much for you coming on today. It has been an immense pleasure. Uh, yeah, can you tell the lovely people out there how they can reach you, how they can get hold of you on the big wide web? You can, you can send me an email, email, email on my work address, work address if you like. It's wesley at sali.co. If it's work-related work and you want to learn, learn about web, web RTC and, and video and audio, and audio chat, chat uh, APIs, APIs, hit me up there. Uh, if you just want to talk to me in general, Twitter is the place to go. Wesley83 on Twitter. W-E-S-L-E-Y 83 on Twitter. That's the easiest way you can hold me. My DMs are open, so you can send me a message there. Um, um, and and uh, uh, you can also you can find, me find me on my own, own podcast, podcast, which is, is um, the, the communitypulse.io podcast. Um, we um, talked about developer relations and community there. If you want to hear my opining on that subject, it's communitypulse.io. Excellent. Excellent. Wow. Do I put all of this in the description below in the show notes? So, yes. Please, people out there, go, click, click away like mad. Get in contact with Wesley. And yeah, and yeah, let him drop a knowledge bomb or two or strike up a fantastic conversation. But yeah, I have to say, yeah, Wesley, thank you very much for coming on today. You have been brilliant. You have been outstanding. And yeah, a joy to have, sir. A joy to have. But let me also say to you, my friends, my friends, uh, yeah, please stay safe, stay well, be awesome, be excellent. And yeah, be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. Have a great day, guys. Yeah. Peace. Yeah. And we are.